Shalom. Thank you for listening to this week's message from Emmaus Road Fellowship, where we encounter Yeshua in the scriptures. Check out our website at walkingemmausroad.org, where you'll find additional teachings and information on visiting us in Kingwood, Texas. If you've been blessed by this ministry, please consider giving to support Emmaus Road's mission of spreading the good news of the kingdom. May God grant you shalom in the name of Yeshua, our Messiah. Bless God. Did anybody have anything during worship that you saw or wanted to share? Okay, here's what I, I kept hearing during um, the praise and worship. And also, I know it's for the month of Elul as well, but it was just so reiterated upon my heart. And it was, stop dwelling on past events and brooding over times gone by. I am doing something new. It's springing up. Can't you see it? I'm making a road in the desert. Rivers in the wasteland. And he's doing it because he says in his word, he has called each of us by name. He's the God of Israel. And it's for the sake of Yaakov, my servant, yes, my Israel, my elect, that I call you by name. He's called each and every one of us for such a time as this. Mm-hmm. Amen. Thank you, Suzanne. Okay, so this week our portion is Shoftim, which is really officers. And when I was thinking about what the message was going to be today, I was looking across the portion as a whole and saying, what common themes do I see taking place? And what I saw across it is God establishing what his choice would be and then giving the children of Israel an expectation of good things to come. And it made me think about last week's discussion on the two paths. We talked about the path that is the way of life and then the path that is the way of death. We talked about the contrast between worshiping God and worshiping idols. And then surrendering control to God as a path as opposed to trying to take control ourselves. And this week I feel like the, the contrast or the two paths are fear or, ex- or expecting good things to come essentially through trusting God for what he's going to provide. And one of the key things that was coming up in my thoughts around it was the importance of the Spirit and the guidance we have from God at each step along the way. And that as we seek an intimate relationship with him, the more we're going to grow in our ability to hear what the Spirit is saying and to know what His direction is for us. And that His direction for us is good because we are a treasured possession. And so I was going through, and I think that, I think overall this message is expectation of good things to come. And as we were reading Psalm 27, it came to me that really Psalm 27 encapsulates what today's message is all about. It's about understanding that there may be uncertainty, there may be trials and adversaries, 
But our call is to seek God's face and in his tabernacle offer sacrifices with shouts of joy to be found near him and be hidden in in him through it all and to know that we can expect good things in the land of the living. And we're called to wait for the Lord and expectantly wait for the Lord. So we're going to start in John 14. Last week we talked a little bit about John 14 with Yeshua saying that he is the way, the truth, and the life. And he was saying that he is the way to the Father. And the disciples who had walked with him and known him, because they knew him, they knew the way to the Father. And what he had been saying it preceding those verses was that he was about to go away. And he was telling them not to fear, even though he was going, to w- going away because good things were to come. So if we looked in John 13, 36... Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? Yeshua answered him, where I am going, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow me afterward. Right? So here there was a challenge that they were facing. Yeshua was telling them he was going to leave and that they couldn't follow him where he was going in the moment. But there was going to be a time when they would be able to follow Right? The expectation that good was to come, even though trial was before them. And then in John 14, starting in verse 9, after Yeshua explained, I am the way, the truth, and the life, he said, he said to Philip, Have I been with you so long, and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me, or else believe on account of the works themselves. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these will he do, because I am going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. If you love me, you will keep my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Yet a little while, and the world will see me no more, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. In that day, you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. So Yeshua was telling them that he was going to send the Spirit, and it was good that he would go away. In John 16, he speaks about it being good that that he would go away, because then the Spirit would be sent, and the Spirit would lead you into all truth and bring recollection and guide you in the way. And the, the, the thing with being guided by the Spirit, it is a daily guidance that we have with the Spirit. Morning by morning, day by day, He is with us and in us to give us counsel, to show us what God's choice is, 
what the good path is that's laid before us. And within this week's portion, we see God's choice being laid out in how the nation will appoint a king, how they will appoint judges. And then he speaks on how he will give a prophet who he's placed his name upon, who will speak to us and guide us, give us what we need. And so even though there are times of uncertainty and things that are unknown, God says that he's going to meet us in those moments. And that's something that we see in Deuteronomy 18, in verse 9. He says, when you come into the land, this is something that's repeated over and over again in this portion too, is when you come into the land. He's saying, you're not there now, but you're going to make it. And when you come into the land that the Lord your God is giving you, you shall not learn to follow the abominable practices of those nations. There shall not be found among you anyone who burns his son or his daughter as an offering, anyone who practices divination or tells fortunes or interprets omens, or a sorcerer or a charmer or a medium or a necromancer or one who inquires of the dead. For whoever does these things is an abomination to the Lord. And because of these abominations, the Lord your God is driving them out before you. You shall be blameless before the Lord your God. For these nations which you are about to dispossess, listen to fortune tellers and to diviners. But as for you, the Lord your God has not allowed you to do this. So why do the nations seek out fortune tellers and diviners and idols? It's because they desire to know what's to come. Even King Saul sought a medium and was wrong in doing so because he wanted to know what was going to happen. But God says, that's not for you. Seeking out the wisdom of the world and false gods is not for my people. Because just as Suzanne said earlier, God says, I love you and I've inscribed you on the palm of my hand. I'm not going to leave you as orphans. I'm not going to leave you blinded. He says, I will speak to you. I will speak through In this case, he says, through a prophet that I will send, that I will place words in this prophet's mouth. I'm not going to let you walk blindly, but trust in me. Don't trust in the world. Don't, Don't try to go get the answer yourself in your own ways. Come to me and listen to my voice. And he says, here in verse 15, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your brothers. It is to him you shall listen, just as you desired of the Lord your God at Horeb on the day of the assembly when you said, let me not hear again the voice of the Lord my God or see his, this great fire any more lest I die. And the Lord said to me, they are right in what they have spoken. I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their brothers and I will put my words in his mouth and he shall speak to them all that I command him. And whoever will not listen to my words that he shall speak in my name, I myself will will require it of him. But the prophet who presumes to speak a word in my name that I have not commanded him to speak, or who speaks in the name of other gods, that same prophet shall die. So God says that he's going to give insight to prophets so that he will speak to you and give you guidance and let you know the things that you need to hear. And Yeshua even says this too, of that, you know, you do not have because you do not ask, but what you ask in my name, the Father will give you. And James encourages us when we lack wisdom to pray 
And God, who gives bountifully, will give you wisdom and understanding. And within all of this, so God says he's going to raise up the prophet. Of course, we know that, that God raises up prophets throughout the generations to speak his words and to guide his people, especially in times of trouble, so that he might save the people out of destruction. And then we know, too, that this prophet that he's speaking of, the one prophet who is like Moses, is Yeshua, our Messiah. The one who is of the brothers of the children of Israel, the one who speaks only what he hears the Father speaking and longs to do God's will and whose words are true and everlasting, right? Yeshua says that his words will never pass away. Heaven and earth will pass away, but his words will endure forever. And within all of this, God calls us to righteousness. When our portion opened up in Deuteronomy 16, verse 18, he was giving instruction with regard to this righteousness. He says, you shall appoint judges and officers in all your towns that the Lord your God is giving you according to your tribes, and they shall judge the people with righteous judgment. You shall not pervert justice. You shall not show partiality, and you shall not accept a bribe, for a bribe blinds the eyes of the wise and subverts the cause of the righteous. Justice, and only justice, you shall follow. Some translations say righteousness. Righteousness shall you pursue that you may live and inherit the land that the Lord your God is giving you. There are several things within this passage that are, that are key to the framework of how we think of things. One, that we are to pursue righteous judgment and not to pervert justice. If you note here in the scriptures, it says you shall not accept a bribe, for a, bri for a bribe blinds the eyes of the wise and subverts the cause of the righteous. The warning here for the bribe is for those who are already wise and righteous, that even they too would be taken to some degree by the bribe. This isn't, oh, the wicked, they all work with bribes and they have their way. This is, no, 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 even the righteous, even the wise will be affected by a bribe. And so we're always to be on guard. And it's righteousness through righteousness that we shall pursue justice, right? Too many times in society, people have the idea that the end justifies the means. And so they think if they're pursuing a righteous cause, then they can pursue it through unrighteous means in order to attain the goal. But that's not how God's economy works. God says it's, you shall pursue justice through righteous means. It's righteousness throughout that we are to seek and to walk in. And even when it doesn't look like pursuing righteousness will bring about the righteous end, we lay that into God's hands. And we say, God, it's your desire to bring forth righteous ends. And so we will pursue righteous means and leave the rest up to you to have you bring about your perfect will. Because that's really how we reveal Messiah, 
is walking in righteousness because our actions are going to speak far louder than our words. So if we're pursuing a righteous end through unrighteous means, then we have just profaned the name of God and corrupted the testimony of Yeshua. Right? So we have to pursue righteousness in every dimension and recognize in humility that we are still flesh. And the things of the world can still bring corruption and cause us to stumble. So we walk uprightly at every moment. And that's, that's okay, so that leads into, uh, I think really the, what the verse I'm thinking of here is, uh, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be established unto you. Right? We seek the kingdom. We seek the righteousness of Messiah and he will bring about the end that he desires. And one of the things that other things mentioned in this Torah portion is the establishment of a king for the nation. Now, if you recall the story um, when the children of Israel had Samuel as a judge and they said, well, let's set up a king over ourselves so we'll be like the nations. And Saul is appointed as king and Samuel tells the people that they have erred in asking for this king. I think that the issue was that they got, they weren't listening to when the Lord wanted to appoint a king. That they got ahead of themselves and they began to ask for things that their flesh thought that they needed. They thought they needed a defender to go before them in battle. But they didn't need a defending king to go before them in battle because they had the one true God going before them in battle. And so they, they suffered as a result of asking for a king in the wrong time. But in the scriptures here, in, in Deuteronomy 17, verse 14 through 20, the Lord speaks of a time when they will ask for a king, and he gives rules about how this would be established. He says, when you come to the land that the Lord your God is giving you, and you possess it and dwell in it, and then say, I will set a king over me, like all the nations that are around me, you may indeed set a king over you, whom the Lord your God will choose. One from among your brothers you shall set as king over you. You shall not put a foreigner over you who is not your brother. Only he must not acquire many horses for himself or cause the people to return to Egypt in order to acquire many horses. Since the Lord has said to you, he shall never return that way again. And he shall not acquire many wives for himself, lest his heart turn away. Nor shall he acquire for himself excessive silver and gold. And when he sits on the throne of his kingdom, he shall write for himself in a book a copy of this Torah, approved by the Levitical priests. And it shall be with him, and he shall read it, and he shall read in it all the days of his life, that he may learn to fear the Lord his God by keeping all the words of this Torah and these statutes and doing them, that his heart may not be lifted up above his brothers, and that he may not turn aside from the commandment, either to the right hand or to the left, so that he may, he may continue long in his kingdom, he and his children in Israel. So with this Torah, the king is to write a Torah. He's actually to have two scrolls. Ideally, one inherited from his father, and then one written by himself. One would be kept in his treasury, 
and the other one with him at all times so that he might meditate on the Torah of the Lord day and night, that he can be like a tree firmly planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in its season, right? So that he might have the word implanted within him. And as a result of having the word implanted in him, then he could actually walk it out and not become one who is risen up above his brothers, but is humble, doing the will of the Lord every step of the way. And that is exactly who our Messiah is and how our Messiah has modeled to us the way that we're to be. And when he promises that he's going to send the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit will lead us into all truth, we know that the Spirit writes the Torah upon our hearts, just as promised in Jeremiah and Ezekiel written on our hearts so that we may know his word and we may really have the word brought to mind in the time of need, right? Whether it's when we are communicating with someone or we need, need to pray, the Lord gives us the word. He calls it up from our inner being by his spirit to give us encouragement and to show us his path. Now, just speaking of thinking, thinking again, there's another part in this portion that we're not going to read. But God is continually pointing the children of Israel to what lies ahead. Man, so much to what Suzanne was saying earlier, right? Do not recall the former things, but God is doing a new thing. Will you be aware of it? Will you be, will you be able to step outside of what the past is and move forward into God's plan and purpose? He's even saying there's a time when he's speaking of cities of refuge being set up. And before the children of Israel crossed into beyond the Jordan, there were three cities of refuge set up in the area of Reuben, Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh. And then in this portion, he's saying there's three that you're going to set up in the land of Canaan. And then even further beyond that, when you inhabit the land that goes all the way to the Euphrates that was spoken of to Abraham in Genesis 15, then you will set up three additional cities of refuge. And, and the sages understand that to be the messianic era in the time when the land is extended even beyond. And so there's always a looking forward to what God is doing that lies ahead. Always an encouragement that he's going to fulfill the promises that he has spoken. And in Deuteronomy 20, God speaks about going out to war. He says, when you go out to war against your enemies and see horses and chariots and an army larger than your own, you shall not be afraid of them. For the Lord your God is with you, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. And when you draw near to the battle, the priest shall come forward and speak to the people and shall say to them, hear, O Israel, Today you are drawing near for battle against your enemies. Let not your heart faint. Do not fear or panic or be in dread of them. For the Lord your God is he who goes with you to fight for you against your enemies, to give you the victory. Now then, he says he's going forward to give you the victory. And then in verse 5, he says, Then the officers... These are the, uh, actually, I'm sorry, when I said the shof team is our uh, portion, those are actually the judges. I, I said officers. It's the shofrim that are the officers. The word officers comes back up right here where he says the shofrim, 
shall go out and speak to the people. And they will say, is there any man who has built a new house and has not dedicated it? Let him go back to his house, lest he die in the battle and another man dedicate it. And is there any man who has planted a vineyard and has not enjoyed its fruit? Let him go back to his house, lest he die in the battle and another man enjoy its fruit. And is there any man who has betrothed a wife and has not taken her? Let him go back to his house, lest he die in the battle and another man take her. And the officers shall speak further to the people and say, Is there any man who is fearful and faint-hearted? Let him go back to his house, lest he make the heart of his fellows melt like his own. And when the officers have finished speaking to the people, then commanders shall be appointed at the head of the people. All right, so if you look at this passage and you think of it in human terms, it doesn't make a lot of sense. Right here, God says, you're going to go out into battle. I'm going to wage war for you. And you're going to gather together all the fighting men of the land, and they're going to go in, and they're going to take possession. And then he has the officers who are kind of like the police officers go out and begin telling people to go home. Begin telling people to go home, people who have not taken hold of what God has, has given them, right? A house, a vineyard, a wife. They've come, to the, they've come to the brink of taking hold of this gift that God's given them, but they haven't yet partaken. He says, you go home and you partake of that good gift because I actually don't need you to win this battle because I'm the, I'm the one going before you to deliver you from your enemies, to deliver the land into your hand. Now, God's still going to use others, but he's, he's, he whittles down the army and even tells those who are afraid to go home, lest they melt the hearts of the others and cause others to lose faith, to lose trust. God says, because it's not the number in the army that is going to give the victory. It's the power and might of God who's going to bring the victory. And it called to mind the story of Elisha and Gehazi in 2 Kings 6. So Elisha was, being, was a hunted man, and the king had sent an army to go and, and capture him and bring him back. And they had camped in a, in a village, and they were surrounded. So in 2 Kings 6.15, when the servant of the man of God, the man of God being Elisha, rose early in the morning and went out, behold, an army with horses and chariots was all around the city. And the servant said, Alas, my master, what shall we do? And Elisha said, Do not be afraid, for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. Then Elisha prayed and said, O Lord, please open his eyes that he may see. So the Lord opened the eyes of the young man, and he saw. And behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. 
And when the Syrians came down against him, Elisha prayed to the Lord and said, please strike this people with blindness. So he struck them with blindness in accordance with the prayer of Elisha. So here it was. Elisha could see the provision of God, see the power and might of God's army. His servant couldn't see it. He didn't have eyes to see it. But Elisha prayed and God opened his eyes. And then, likewise, another prayer. One prayer opened spiritual eyes and the next prayer closed physical eyes to where the Syrians were not able to see them. And Elisha and his servant guarded, led the Syrian army into the same, uh, almost they, they turned the tables completely to where he led them into a place where the Syrian army was encircled and trapped. But that is, again, another picture of God didn't need numbers because it's his power and his might that delivers. The key factor in there was Elisha's trust and ability to know what God was doing and to see in the spirit what was taking place, to know that God is the, our shield and our strength and that it's, he, he is the one who brings the deliverance. So again, just as Elisha said to his servant, he said, do not fear. No, you need to expect that good things are to come. Expect that even though this looks insurmountable, good things are to come because God is with us. And that's what we see also in this week's Haftarah in the book of Isaiah. In Isaiah 51, I'm only going to read a couple of portions of this week's Haftarah, but in Isaiah 51, 12 through 16, the Lord says, I, I am he who comforts you. Who are you that you are afraid of man who dies, of the son of man who is made like grass and have forgotten the Lord your maker, who stretched out the heavens and laid the foundations of the earth? And you fear continually all the day because of the wrath of the oppressor when he sets himself to destroy. And where is the wrath of the oppressor? He who is bowed down shall speedily be released. He shall not die and go down to the pit, neither shall his bread be lacking. I am the Lord your God who stirs up the sea so that its waves roar. The Lord of hosts is his name. And I have put my words in your mouth and covered you in the shadow of my hand, establishing the heavens and laying the foundations of the earth and saying to Zion, you are my people. And then continuing in Isaiah 52, verses 11 and 12. He says, depart, depart, go out from there. Touch no unclean thing. Go out from the midst of her. Purify yourselves, you who bear the vessels of the Lord. For you shall not go out in haste, and you shall not go out, and you shall not go in flight. For the Lord will go before you, and the God of Israel will be your rear guard. Now, if you remember from several weeks ago, we talked about the rear guard. The rear guard is not just a defense, but it's one who comes and helps those who are straggling, those who have fallen behind. He lifts them up, gives them strength to carry on and to be able to go forward. Because the Lord's going before you, you're on a journey. And on that journey, you may find times where you're, you're weak, where you're staggering, where you're, when you're falling behind, but God is coming along behind you, 
as the rear guard to strengthen you along the way. And how many of you know that sometimes the way that God strengthens you when you're weak or you're struggling is that he's, he's, bring, he's being a, a rear guard by bringing along brothers and sisters next to you who will speak a word in the moment that you need to hear, who will be there to pray with you, to break off what the enemy is trying to do, to give a word of knowledge at just the right moment to give confirmation to you that what you've been hearing was really from the Lord. And he does that, speaking through not only the prophets, but each of us having the ability by listening to the Lord to know what that word is for another person or to know that God is speaking to us to help us along the way. We're called to encourage one another to remember that greater things lie ahead. That just as Yeshua said, we will do greater things even than he did. So now some question, was that greater in uh, the magnitude of the miracles that we'll walk in? Or is it the number that are done through the body? Well, for sure through the number done through the body that is walking according to the power of the Spirit. And that's what we're called to do. And I want to go to Psalm 27, since it was just so impactful this morning. I'm not going to read the whole thing, but I just want to go through and read a few of the verses. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Whom shall I dread? When evildoers came upon me to devour me, It is my adversaries and my enemies who stumble and fall. Though a host encamp against me, my heart will not fear. Though war arise against me, even then I will be confident. You know what the psalmist's response is to this? He says, the one thing I have asked from the Lord, and that I shall seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to behold the beauty of the Lord and to meditate in his temple. For in the day of trouble, he will conceal me in his tabernacle. In the secret place of his tent, he will hide me and he will lift me up upon a rock and my head will be lifted above the enemies around me. And I will offer in his tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. I will sing, yes, I will sing praises to the Lord. Where does he turn? He turns to his hiding place to his refuge, to his strength and his shield. He doesn't seek the soothsayers, the mediums. He cries out to the Lord because the Lord is his trust. And he says, I would have despaired unless I had believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord and the land of the living. Wait for the Lord, be strong and take heart and wait for the Lord. And that waiting for the Lord, it's an expectant waiting. That's actually in the definition of the the verb, is an expectantly waiting for the Lord. Expecting we will see goodness in the land of the living rather than fearing just because we see troubles and trials to our left and to our right. 
And I don't know why this message is today, but perhaps it's something that all of us need to hear or just the individuals need to hear. But so much of it, so much of today's message is really about God hiding us in his tabernacle and his desire for us to hear his spirit. Because when we're guided by his spirit, it's going to take us into a deeper place of relationship with him, as I mentioned earlier, but it's also going to cause us to be in the place of his protection. Like he will tell us where to be such that the disaster that's coming will not befall us. And part of not being in the place of disaster when it comes is the righteousness that we're called to walk in because to the degree that we are associated with or tied to wickedness, when it comes under judgment, we too would come under judgment. That's why he says, come out of her, purify yourselves. You will not leave in haste. You will not be fleeing, okay, because you walk in righteousness, because you're pursuing God and finding him as your hiding place. That evil is not going to come upon you. But there's the call to seek out that hiding place. Not that we will be perfect in that, but that's the pursuit. Righteousness, righteousness shall you pursue. In Psalm 91, says, He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. For it is he who delivers you from the snare of the trapper and from the deadly pestilence. He will cover you with his pinions and under his wings you may seek refuge. His faithfulness is a shield and a bulwark. You will not be afraid of the terror by night or of the arrow that flies by day, of the pestilence that stalks in darkness or of the destruction that lays waste at noon. A thousand may fall at your side and 10,000 at your right hand, but it shall not approach you. You will only look on with your eyes and see the recompense of the wicked. For you have made the Lord my refuge, even the most high, your dwelling place. No evil will befall you, nor will any plague come near your tent. For he will give his angels charge concerning you to guard you, guard you in all your ways. They will bear you up in their hands, lest you strike your foot against a stone. You will tread upon the lion and cobra, the young lion and the serpent you will trample down. Because he has loved me, therefore I will deliver him. I will set him securely on high, because he has known my name. He will call upon me, and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble, and I will rescue him and honor him. With a long life, I will satisfy him and let him behold my salvation. That we will behold his salvation. And that brings us back to John 16. God says he's going to let us behold his salvation, right? When it says that he's going to let us behold his salvation, that's his, in Hebrew, Yeshua. My salvation is Yeshua T, but Yeshua is salvation. And then Yeshua, the name of, of our master, is a short form of Yoshua, which is God is my salvation. 
Now, in John 16, again, Yeshua has been talking about going away and that he's going to send the Spirit and that it's good for us that he's going to send the Spirit. All this from John, at least John 13 through 16 that we're reading here was all on the night after the Passover when he's speaking to his disciples the night that he was betrayed. Yeah, let's go ahead and read this. It's great. John 16, 5 through 7. But now I am going to him who sent me. And none of you ask me, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sor sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And then in verse 13, When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore, I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. And I thought those were the verses I was intending to read, but they're not. So I'm going to go to another spot, but those are still really good for where we've, where we've been going. But as, later on in John 16, the disciples are saying, what is Yeshua talking about with a little while and you will not behold me, and then again, again a little while and you will see me because I go to the Father? And so Yeshua says in verse 19, are you deliberating together about this, that I said a little while and you will not behold me? And again, a little while, and you will see me. Truly, truly, I say to you that you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow, your sorrow will be turned to joy. Whenever a woman is in travail, she has sorrow because her hour has come. But when she gives birth to the child, she remembers the anguish no more for, for joy that a child has been born into the world. Therefore, you too now have sorrow, but I will see you again, and your heart will rejoice, and no one takes your joy away from you. No one takes your joy away from you. Unless you surrender it. Okay? The joy that God has given you, no one takes that away. Now the enemy will come and try to take that joy. The enemy will try to make you question the word that you've heard, the promise that you've been given. But that is the deceiver and the thief that comes to steal the joy. And when that enemy comes to try to steal that joy, either you rebuke it in the name of Yeshua or you say, the Lord rebuke you. And you say, I know the promise of God. I know that I'm not to fear, that I'm not to lose hope. Because the God of all creation goes before me, and he's my rear guard. He is faithful to keep his word and to uphold it. And this joy that he has given to me, that I have found in his tabernacle, that's mine. That's mine to keep. Because he has inscribed me, and he's called me his own. Greater things are coming. Yeshua has said that he's returning. And in the end of Revelation, we see that God has made all things new. 
wiped away every tear. Where are we going to put our focus? On the things of the world that cause fear? Or on the expectation of a God who is able? The expectation of the good that we will see in the land of the living as we wait expectantly for the Lord. Amen. Does anybody have anything that you want to share? Uh, two, two things. Um, so, Shema, I teach my kids, the best translation is heed, because it is both hear and obey. And then, you know, obviously we know this from the Shema, right? Hear Israel. In Deuteronomy 18.15, that, that you had brought up, trust the Lord to complete the future of which, um, oh, I'm sorry. God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your brothers. It is to him you shall shema. Hmm. Um, and then the other one was you had brought up about uh, Psalm 27. Um, you will see the goodness of the Lord in the land. The promise of good is in the land, not in heaven. He hides in us now. And after our bodies die, he will hide us in his tabernacle, in his dwelling, heaven, garden of paradise, until the resurrection and physical glorified bodies. And the purpose of the resurrection is to see the goodness of a new earth and new heavens. So there's always something in this era. There's always something to look forward to. Yes. Amen. Amen. And that's, that's something, that, that's a mindset that we can train ourselves up in, Right. Our minds can be rewired to expect the good of the Lord rather than to expect bad, right? Or for wickedness or evil to come upon us. But no, our hope is in that which is good. And then uh, just like Paul has something. I was uh, also referring to Psalm 27. I, I just wrote some notes here. It said, David turns to the Lord for refuge, the comfort of the presence of the Lord is where he wants to be in time of trouble. And um, in the Tree of Life version, it says uh, at the end, it says, Surely I trust that I'll see the goodness of Adonai in the land of the living. Wait for Adonai. Be strong. Let your heart take courage and wait for Adonai. And I love the Tree of Life version uses trust for faith or believe, even a lot of times when it's not that great English. Mm -hmm. But really, with it's a true picture. Because I can say all day long, I believe in this or I have faith in that or whatever, but until you have to step out of the boat or step, you know, it, you know, that trust that, okay, I'm going to act in a way that shows that I actually believe that God will take care of this as opposed to just saying it or some concept out there. Uh, faith and believe are very kind of difficult words to put your hands on, not real tangible, but trust is very tangible. Yes. It shows itself. It reveals itself to us very clearly at times, whether we do or do not have it. And uh, so I, I love that and just kind of add something to that uh, as you look at this, um, you know, because as they looked at the land, they saw all the problems. And, and even when they went in the land and got it, they still didn't trust. They still didn't see the bigger picture God was trying to, well, these people, well, I won't really drive them out. We won't really trust God. We'll just kind of live with them and blend in them and look where that got them. And it's kind of the same thing for us. If we don't truly trust in God and hate what God hates and love what God loves, 
the reality, the consequences will reveal themselves real fast mm -hmm. as to what we truly trust in God. Yeah, absolutely. And, and that's, yeah, faith, translating faith as trust is uh, really helpful. Because um, it's really that place of trust when you will choose what he wants and that you will lay yourself in his hand and say, okay, I don't have to look to the world. I don't have to look to false gods. I look to the one true God, and I wait expectantly. And that, that's the other thing, too. You wait expectantly and say, you know what? God's not slow about his promise, right? He'll bring it about in its time. And that's an exercise in trust. It's laying ourselves in his hands. And anyone else? All right, let's pray. Father, we bless you. We thank you, Lord, that you are able. Lord, that you are trustworthy. Father, I ask that you would give us strength by your spirit to walk in your ways. Lord, to expect good in the land of the living and to wait patiently for you, Lord. Lord, I ask that you would strengthen us that our hearts will not fear. Lord, that we would choose the path of trust over the path of fear. That we would choose the path of expecting your goodness versus expecting harm. Lord, help us to press in to seek your face and to be found in your tabernacle, Lord. And may you fill us with your joy. Thank you, Lord, for the joy that only you can bring and the victory that comes through you, Lord. We give you glory, thanks, and praise in the name of Yeshua. Amen. Thank you for joining us. If you enjoyed this message, please consider sharing it with a friend or family member and help us out by giving a review on iTunes or other podcast platform. Check out our website at walkingemmausroad.org for additional teachings and information about visiting Emmaus Road in Kingwood, Texas. Thank you.